welcome again. <laughs> uh, good to have you all here. And excited to open God's Word with you this morning and continue in the series that I just mentioned about anchors. And just as we've been looking as we've started off this new year, ways that we can be able to anchor, one, to Christ and the gospel, two, as Pastor David preached last week about how we can anchor to Scripture. And today I'm going to conclude the series as ways that we can be able to anchor to the church. And so the several texts that we'll be preaching in this morning um, to cover this, we'll be looking at Revelation 19 and 22, Romans 12, Galatians 5, and chapter 6 as well. And so we'll be bouncing around a little bit this morning, but hopefully we got everything in the slides and all that. But hopefully you also brought your copy of God's Word. I go up. Uh, I'd encourage you to open up just as we start to Revelation chapter 19, and uh, this morning we'll be talking about how we can wait faithfully as the bride of Christ. What does it mean for us to be the bride of Christ, and what our responsibility is as we wait? And so, um, first of all, I just want to ask us a question. Um, I'm sure many of us in this room are married, and um, I know uh, I was thinking about a, a question that I was asked time and time again um, leading up to uh, my wife and I's wedding, and the question that everyone said, I feel like I was asked a thousand times, but are you excited for the big day? It was always people anticipating the big day and all of that that it came with, and so I knew I was, I knew Kaylin was, um, and uh, just that joyful anticipation that we had for that big day. But we always knew that marriage was something more than just a date, just a wedding date, um, just a, a ceremony, a fun reception with friends and family, and just an opportunity for us to have a great time together. Um, we knew it came with a lot more, uh, a lot of friendship and laughter and a lot of ice cream and uh, maybe getting a dog one day. And uh, we've got all that stuff, so we're thankful. But uh, we also knew it would come with hard times at some point, but we're still newlyweds. So Apparently, you don't have hard times yet, but I'm just kidding. Um, and so, again, this is, this is the day we're waiting for, this joyful anticipation. Um, and so, in a similar way, metaphorically, the church is the bride of Christ. And so, as there's a, a groom and a bride who are married together. Um, it's this mysterious, yes, we are right now, and one day it will be fulfilled once we see Christ face to face. And so, um, this idea is that Jesus is the groom and that the church is his bride. And so we have a responsibility, just as Christ had his responsibility in loving us and choosing us and making a way for us to have a relationship with him for eternal life. And so one day we will be united with him face to face when uh, we will be able to see him for who he is. And as First John talks about that we become like him as we know him, as we see him face to face. And so the question is, what do we do until that day? Do we sit around and twiddle our thumbs and just say, man, well, I'm excited for that day. Do we sit around as, you know, some, maybe some spouses do or uh, engaged folks do as they're leading up to their wedding and say, well, I won't, I won't do my part or I won't um, prepare as I should. And so we're going to see in the text today as to what we are called to do as a church, as we wait faithfully as the bride of Christ. And so the idea is that we are to anchor to the church as we wait for Christ. And so again, I mentioned we'll be in a few passages this morning as we highlight the church's relationship with Jesus and how we're to live in light of it. But first, let's go to Revelation 19. We're reading verses 6 through 9. And the main point from this morning's message is that as we wait for Jesus to return for his church, we are tasked with faithfully carrying out the mission that he's called us to. 
We're not tasked to show up on a Sunday morning and head out the door and say, we'll pick up being the bride next week. We have a mission. We have a calling. And so I want us to look at that today. And so the first point from this message is that Roman numeral one, we need to be in love with Jesus Christ. And so thinking back to that time leading up to your wedding, hopefully you were anticipating it. Hopefully you were really excited for it. You were joyfully anticipating it. And so as a church, our love for Jesus needs to be shown in how we point A, how we glorify him with our joyful anticipation. Let's look at Revelation 19, verses 6 through 9. This is the word of the Lord. It says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lord, or for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, for these are the true words of God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to be able to look in Scripture and see what our calling is as the church, see that our calling is to wait faithfully for you and how we can do that. God, we know it's hard to wait faithfully. None of us like to be patient. And so God, we pray that you would give us strength today, even as we look at your word and see how we can anchor to the church, how we can gather together as a body of Christ to wait for you to come back for us. Lord, we pray that everything that we see in scripture today would help us love you and glorify you and praise you for who you are. It's your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we see in this scripture, in this passage, this concept called the marriage of the Lamb. The marriage supper of the Lamb is something common that will refer to it. And until this day, it's this event, and until this day, we need to joyfully anticipate it. But why? In a similar way, you look forward to being with your spouse for that wedding day. You're supposed to joyfully anticipate this day that we're united with Christ, this longing that we have. And so one of the ways we get to do that is by connecting. And so that's we'll be working through a few of our core values at Coastal Church today and seeing them through the lens of Scripture. And so this first core value that we have is connecting, connecting to God through the gospel, but connecting to God through corporate worship. And so, as we see in Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25, it says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So Jesus intends for us to connect together. He intends for us to gather together as his bride. He doesn't want us to be just individualistic. He wants us to connect together as his bride as we wait for this day. And so one reason we do this is that so we can be able to worship God corporately. Revelation 19 verse 6 says that John heard what seemed to be an extremely loud voice. It was a unified voice, a voice of many believers, but one unified voice praising God because he reigns. And this is what our church ought to be, not the volume of our praise, but the heart behind our praise, our love for God that unifies us, that helps us be able to connect together in praise for him and anticipation for who he is and what this day means for us. And so 
the natural result of knowing that Jesus reigns must lead us to love him, to love one another, and to praise him through corporate worship. It's this idea of the head knowledge we have for him, this, of what we know about him becoming this love for him, and it's connecting through praise as we glorify him. And so it's important for us to understand what marriage was in the biblical times. It's a little bit different than how it looks for us today. You know, maybe you date someone for a bit, you propose, you're in the season of engagement, you're planning for the wedding, all of that, and then you get married. It's a little bit different in the times of the Bible. And so it had these two major events, the betrothal and the wedding. And this is important for us to understand the context of this passage. In between these two events, the bride and the, the excuse me, the groom and bride um, were considered husband and wife. And so the wedding began with a procession to the bride's house, where the groom would bring the bride to his father's house for the marriage supper. And so, by analogy, the church, who's betrothed to Christ, betrothed by faith, waits for Him to come for us and to return for return with us to go to heaven for the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so as we wait for the wedding of the church in Christ, as verse 7 says, we need to make ourselves ready. What does this mean to prepare ourselves, to make ourselves ready? And so like a bride dresses herself for the wedding day, we as a church are to clothe ourselves with fine linen that we see in verse 8. And right after that, it tells us what it is. It says it's the righteous deeds of the saints. And this is important for us to be very, very clear on. We do not get to take part in this marriage supper of the Lamb because of our righteous deeds. We do not have a relationship with Jesus because of anything that we can do. Scripture is extremely clear on the fact that it is not our righteousness. It's not our good. It's not our works that save us. It is by grace, through faith alone, through Jesus Christ. It's our these, these righteous deeds are our sanctification. It's what we do in the in-between time of our justification, our relationship with Jesus Christ, and until we see him face to face. And so again, Ephesians 2, verse 8 through 9, tells us that it's not by our works. But we see the verse later, Ephesians 2, 10, tells us that we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. So we know that it's not our works that save us, but we're created, and we have this purpose for good works. So this must mean something. And this idea in Revelation 19, verse 8, about clothing ourselves, preparing ourselves, is righteous deeds we clothe ourselves with follow salvation as the proof that we've been saved. It's what James 2, 26 tells us, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. And so by faith, we pursue righteousness. As this passage in Revelation 19 says, as the bride made herself ready, as God works in us, as it was granted to her to clothe herself. And so it's this idea of as we wait for Christ to come back for us, it's this joyful and glorious day that it's going to be. We have a responsibility as the church. We have a responsibility to prepare ourselves for that day because we love Christ. And we prepare ourselves through our obedience, not to earn our seat at the table of the marriage supper of the Lamb, but because we love Jesus Christ so much that we walk in obedience until that day comes as the church. And so we do this in unity as the church. And that's why it's so important for us to connect together as believers. And so as we'll see today, we'll see why it's important for us to connect. And so this idea of the marriage supper of the Lamb, it's important because if you truly love Jesus, 
than you will Roman numeral till you'll be in love with his bride. As I read in Hebrews 10, it's not this idea of us being individual believers who are disconnected from a body and are saying, I'm good over here in my personal silo relationship with Jesus Christ. That's not the plan that Jesus has for us. Jesus' plan is for us to be unified in praise as we see in Revelation 19. And so it's a love for him ultimately, but a love for one another that brings this desire for us to connect together as we wait for him. And how are we supposed to connect together? Is it just a, a, a golf club kind of relationship that we have with one another? Or we just show up and we have this super casual relationship and we don't really do anything for one another? We don't support one another in any way? No, it's the opposite. This is point A, we're called to have genuine love for one another. We see this in, in, excuse me, in Romans 12, verse 9 through 10. Paul is telling the church, Romans 12, verse 9 through 10, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. So have genuine love for one another. So as we connect to God through corporate worship, we need to choose to genuinely love one another. I'm sure we can all think of moments in our life where we've showed up to something. Maybe it's been something we didn't want to do or someone asked us to come along and do something for them that we were just like, man, I'd rather stay home. I'd rather not go. That's not the genuine love. And so this idea as we connect together as a local church, we need to love one another genuinely, as we see in this passage in Romans 12. And so Paul says that love needs to be genuine, which if you think about it, on the flip side, it means that we can love ingenuinely. So we've all experienced that where we felt someone loving us not in a genuine way, or we can remember times where we haven't genuinely loved someone. It can be an external kind of love, saying nice things to them but not really meaning them. Or it can be just going through the motions, just greeting someone at church because you know it's the right thing to do, but not having a genuine love that they're here and wanting to appreciate them. And so in contrast, genuine love is shown in verses 9 and 10. Where there's genuine love, evil isn't tolerated, but it's hated. And that's the part where the unity of the church is so important. Because if we're unified and genuinely loving one another, then we will hate what is eating away at anything where we are called to love one another. If there's any sin in us, we want to help purify through the power of the Holy Spirit so we can be able to love one another genuinely. And so if we hate evil and hold fast to what is good, we'll be in this position to love like Christ did, to love genuinely. And so it's not a surface level love, but if we see in verse 10 as it says to have brotherly affection, maybe you're wondering how you can gauge if you genuinely love someone. Um, I know it's kind of a, an odd thing to think about. Am I genuinely loving them or how do I really know? Is there a test online I can look up or something like that? And I'm sure a lot of us in our, in our work or personal goals, you might have like smart goals, something like that. That stuff is measurable. It's easy. Um, and so with loving others genuinely, it's not the most thing, it's not the easiest thing to kind of measure how we're doing it. Um, but I had a professor in college and he was telling me a good way that he recommends is just to look at the love one another commands in scripture. If you're following those and you're probably lining up with genuinely loving one another. Again, that isn't in 
of what Scripture necessarily says, but as we follow these love one another commands that Scripture tells us to do, as we walk in these one another commands, and we'll probably be ending up genuinely loving one another. For example, you can outdo one another in showing honor. By Philippians 2.3, it says, doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And so as you are praising brothers in Christ, as you're praising brothers and sisters in Christ, as you're honoring them, honoring someone is a way of genuinely loving someone. And so if you can focus on these, you'll probably end up genuinely loving someone. That's a side thing. But praising others is just one of the one another commands. Another one that helps us love the bride of Christ is to point B, commit to bearing the burdens of others. And this is a harder one. This is a tough one. Because as we think about burdens in our own life, sometimes it can feel like, man, I have so much going on in my own life. I don't have the capacity to carry the burdens of others. I have so much heartache and so much grief in my own life. How on earth am I going to carry these burdens? And this isn't meant to, again, be individualistic. It's meant to, as a body of Christ, to carry burdens for one another because of our genuine love for one another. And so if we, expect, if we have a surface-level love for one another, we can expect to have surface-level burden-carrying for one another. It'll turn into, yeah, you know, how's there, how are you doing? I'll pray for you. But you never get around to praying for them. Or you never get around to checking up on them or seeing how you can meet their utmost need instead of saying, it's a lot of lip service. It's not this genuine love that Paul talks about in Romans. And so our church must be a church that bears the burdens of one another. And we see this in Galatians 6, verse 2. Let me get to it. Galatians 6, 2 says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so we're commanded to bear one another's burdens. And if we have a surface level love for one another, we won't bear the burdens. We won't meet the needs of our church. Our goal is to edify one another through love. And this means being deeply involved with one another. Not just the highs of life where, as Romans 12, 9, 10 says, we get to outdo one another in showing love, but the really hard parts of life where there's a burden that needs to be bared. An idea for us to picture what burden bearing is Picture a man who has this huge bag of grain. He's carrying it. He's trying to bring it home to his family. And he's carrying this huge bag of grain. He's just staggering beneath its weight. Somehow he's got to get it home, but it's so hard for him to carry. And someone over here sees him struggling with this big weight that he's trying to carry. And he comes over and stands beside him and just helps him lift it. He doesn't take it all on his own because he knows that's not his responsibility. But he lovingly comes alongside of him, not for any gain of himself, but just because he loves him. And he helps him carry this burden, this, grain, this bag of grain to his family. And so he doesn't take on the need, but he helps him carry the burden. And so that's what we're called to do. And it's easy to do that in a way because we all have burdens. None of us are in here perfect saying, yeah, I've got a pretty easy life. You know, you may have some comfort in areas, but you do not have a perfect life. None of us do. And so we all have burdens of different sizes, burdens of different weights. And so that means we all have a responsibility to love one another. As we all have a responsibility to love one another, we also have a responsibility to share our burdens. 
It can be easy for us to hold on to them. And maybe pride trickles in and says, well, I don't want to open myself up or I don't want to genuinely share with what's going on in our lives. And as difficult as it is to be vulnerable, we have a responsibility to the local church, to one another, to share how people can bear our burdens and how we can love theirs. And so one of the ways we do this is by growing together. We grow together in small groups and spiritual formation classes. And so we're wrapping up a spiritual formation class now, but we have a small group coming up the second week of February on Sunday nights over at my house, which is right next to the church at six o'clock. And uh, we'd love for y'all to join us there. And again, we're not a perfect people. We're not perfect because we can't be, but we love one another and we try to bear the burdens of one another. And this is one of the ways that we can bear the burdens of one another through the local church as we're unified for our love for Christ, as we're unified for our love for one another. And another way we do this is by using our freedom to serve others. Point C, we see this in Galatians 5, 13 through 14. It says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Hmm. So what freedom were we called to? What is this verse talking about? Well, in Galatians 5 verse 1, right above it, it says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So through Jesus' death, he fulfilled the law. He freed all believers from the law of sin and death. And now God's law is written on our heart, as we see the Old Testament prophesied of this new covenant that we have now. And we're freed to follow and serve Christ. In a nutshell, this is the definition of what Christian freedom is. It's a gift. And so the question is, what are we going to do with this gift? Look back at Galatians 5.13. Paul commands the believers not to use their freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. So sometimes we can use our freedom to be selfish and not loving. And this is not what we're called to do. What we are called to do is to love one another by serving them. And so we aren't freed from the law to be self-centered. We're freed from the law to be centered on Christ and focused on how we can love and serve those among us. Jesus said in Matthew 20, verse 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So our Savior is a servant. If we want to resemble our Savior, then we need to serve and love one another. Paul refers to Jesus in Philippians 2, verse 6 through 8. He says, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Jesus was a servant. Jesus has called us to serve, to love one another, to bear the burdens of one another, to have genuine love for one another. There's plenty of ways that we can do this, as we can serve here at Coastal. And I really want to spend just the next two minutes on this, just talking through the different ways that we have to serve and how they end up loving one another. I think it can be easy for us to think, okay, I'll I'll sign up for that serve team and fill a position. 
or I'll step in and meet a need there. But if we see the ways we have as the church to serve as opportunities for us to love one another, for us to see the people that we're loving through serving, I think it will call us to want to walk in this obedience much more. And so in the first impressions ministry, your goal is to create a biblically hospitable environment for guests and members to connect together in corporate worship. It's not just standing there and shaking hands and saying welcome. This is the actual purpose of it. You welcome people, make them feel appreciated and seen and loved and cherished as they enter these doors. In the production and worship team, your goal is to lead the body of Christ in praise and worship to glorify him and proclaim the truths of scripture. If you're running slides, you're not just pressing a button. Your opportunity is to allow the body to sing the correct lyrics to praise Jesus and to help the body be edified with the slides by the preaching of, word, or preaching of the word. If you're running the soundboard, you make sure the vocals are heard for the pastor to preach or for the people up on stage leading in worship to be able to be heard, to help us all corporately be able to praise and glorify God. If you're on the security team, you're protecting our body and serving as a comfort for us to be able to connect corporately and be able to worship God together. If you're on the prayer team, you serve others by allowing them to be able to pour their heart out to you and you be able to point them to Christ. You be able to listen to them and make them feel loved and seen. If you're on the Coastal Kids team, you do a number of things. You teach the children the Word of God, and you help them understand it in a safe and applicable environment. Maybe being a teacher or helper isn't your thing, but you can welcome people by safely helping them check in in the morning and helping our process go smoothly. Or maybe you like to be even more behind the scenes. You can set up materials or lesson plans so that way Nakia, who's our service supervisor, can have one less thing taken off of her in the morning. She can have an opportunity to have a listening ear with someone and be able to love them and help a volunteer who may be struggling with something. In Coastal Kids, you're not free childcare. It can be easy for us to say, let me dump my kids off there. But it is an opportunity for us to love even the parents of the children, to give them an opportunity to gather together in corporate worship and be able to sing and praise the Lord and be able to hear the word of God preached. And though kids are never a burden at all, sometimes it can be a slight bit distracting, you know, if you're there and trying to praise the Lord, as wonderful as kids are, and man, we love them. We have a kid service about once every month or every two months, and it's a blessing having kids in here. But it is a way that we can be able to love one another through Coastal Kids. And so when you serve, you're not just volunteering. You're not filling a position. You are loving one another as we're called to. And so if we're in love with the bride of Christ, we want more people to be in love with Jesus, then we must, Roman numeral three, be in love with his mission, be in love with the mission of Jesus. Jesus' mission is for us to go and to make disciples, to advance the gospel. But we have this calling in Revelation 22, verse 17, and we'll stay here for the rest of this morning. In Revelation 22, verse 17 we see this wonderful verse as the, the bride of Christ and the spirit are unified. Let me get to it this morning. And so Revelation 22 verse 17 says, The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come. 
Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. And so we advance the gospel and we invite people to come. Not to come to an event on a Sunday morning or not to come to a small group with just a hangout session or not to come alongside of us as we just fill a volunteer position because this is not what we were called to do. We invite people to come and take the water of life to see the love that Jesus has for them and for us to walk alongside them and love them. Our mission isn't to show up and passively wait until the next week or until we have the marriage supper of the Lamb, as I spoke about moments ago. The mission of the church is to multiply so that more and more people have an opportunity to take the water of life freely, as we see in this passage. Jesus says in John 4, verse 14, that whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So what we invite people to isn't a change in lifestyle or behavior. It's a change in eternity. What we invite people to matters. We're not inviting people just to join us on a Sunday morning. We're inviting them here so they can hear the gospel, for them to walk from death to life, for them to be able to freely take the water of life. And as people come and take this water of life, Revelations twenty-two seventeen says, they take it without price. This is important. Where did the price go? Who paid it for us? We know that Jesus Christ paid the price on the cross. Our sin separated us from God. And if you aren't in Christ, it still separates you from God. And so Jesus in his love paid the price for our sin on the cross. Sin separates us from God, but in God's mercy, he made a way for us to have a relationship with him, for us to no longer be separated, but to be bridged together with Christ through his sacrifice. And we believe that we see in scripture that Jesus is fully God, that he's fully man, that he lived a perfect life. And through the sacrifice, he came to earth he, he looked at us, he thought of us as he suffered on the cross, as he went through a horrible death for us. He paid the price for us with his death, burial, and resurrection. And we know that we can have a relationship with him if we receive him as our Lord and Savior as if we trust him for who he is, if we recognize our sin, as we recognize our need to take this water of life. Romans 3.24 says, regarding those who believe, we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is Christ Jesus. And so through his death on the cross and bodily resurrection, he's redeemed us. Therefore, we tell people to come and take the water of life. Come take the best thing that will ever happen to you. I don't care what you say the best thing in your life is. It is the gospel. You have no hope without the gospel. And so this is our calling. This is our mission as the church, that we go out and we tell people about Christ, that we love people as Christ has taught us to, and that we love him. And so if you haven't received this free gift today, you can. 
To receive salvation, you must do three things. One, repent from your sins. Just recognize that you're a sinner. That surprise, surprise, you don't have it all together and you're not perfect. And then there's something that separates you from God and that's your sin. Two, we believe that Jesus is God, that he died on the cross for your sins and that he bodily rose from the dead. And finally, receive him into your heart as your personal Lord and Savior. And if you have questions about that, if you've done that, if you want to do that, please come talk with me or one of the prayer leaders up front after the service. And we would love to be able to talk with you and listen to you about what that is. And so for those of us who are believers, we have a commitment to multiply. A way we do this is through membership. And I mentioned during announcements, something called We Are Coastal. And so again, that's an opportunity for us to figure out more about what our church is Together, Pastor Mike and I will be there. It's an opportunity for us to share about what our church is, what our mission is, what our beliefs are, and it's your first steps of membership. And so maybe you're wondering why membership? Well, there's a few reasons. Christ is committed to the church, therefore we should. As he's committed to us, we commit to the church through membership. Commitment builds character and opposes consumerism. This idea of hopping in and out of churches and, you know, just finding what local body we need to be with is good. We need to do this. But it also opposes this idea of just jumping around. It helps us commit to love one another and commit to be able to worship God together. It defines who can be counted on. Everybody's got a roster. Every school has an enrollment. And it helps us understand who we need to spend careful attention for loving and holding accountable. It produces spiritual growth through accountability. And part of this accountability we have is also that we have a membership renewal coming up. We renew yearly for two main reasons. We don't want to avoid conflict. We want to be able to understand if there's any discrepancies or any conflict. And so we want to be able to address that and be able to walk with you as scripture teaches us to handle conflict. And so we want to be able to come alongside you and recognize that instead of you holding on to that for years. We want to be able to address it and walk in love. And two, we want to know who we are accountable for. We want to love you, minister to you, and help you grow, connect, and serve. And so you can renew your membership at gocoastal.org members. And this page has some information for us about membership, membership renewal, and just some valuable information for you as a member. And so last but not least, I want to share a tool for us as how we can be able to multiply, how we can be able to tell people to come and take the water of life. So we have these cards that are in the back on the table. They look like this. They have blue and they say multiply on them. Um, And it's a cool tool for us to be able to not just tell people, hey, come join me at church on Sunday morning. I'm there at 1030. You know, come join me at the Battery Park campus. We have a, a little card in here that we can be able to give them and say, come with me, not just meet me there, but hey, I want to take you along in this process of multiplication, of discipleship, of bringing them along. You can be able to say, grow with me as you have your small group here, a time and where you meet. You can say, come with me to small group as we grow together or serve. You know, as long as it isn't in kids ministry, um, the other opportunities we have, you can be able to come alongside of them and show up and be able to serve those background checks and things like that before you can be able to head back there in kids ministry. But the other ministries we have, you can be able to say, come alongside me and serve with me. It's this idea of not just saying, meet me there, but let's go do it together. What? Let's walk in holiness together. Let's walk in obedience together. And so as we multiply, we'll continue to anchor to each other 
into Christ. The main point from this morning, there's a lot that's been said, but the main point is as we wait for Jesus to return for his bride, we as the church have a responsibility. We're tasked to faithfully carry out the mission. And we believe here at Coastal, as we see in Scripture, that our mission is to make authentic followers of Jesus Christ. We do that by connecting to God in corporate worship together. We grow together in small group and spiritual formation. We serve one another through love, and we multiply together. All for the purpose of people hearing the gospel, people walking from death to life, and walking in obedience to what Jesus has called us to. And so to carry out this mission, you have to be a part of the bride of Christ. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you do not have the body of Christ to anchor to in unity. You must be with the body of Christ, but first you must have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so in this crazy world, we need to anchor to something. We need to anchor to Christ, anchor to the church, anchor to the word. And so there's a few take-home thoughts. One, be faithful as you wait for Christ's return. Two, be committed to his bride. Buy in, commit, decide you want to be involved. Decide you want to commit and be a part of what God is graciously doing. And C, be focused on making authentic followers of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today. Lord, we thank you for how you love us and how you have made a way for us to be committed to you. But God, first, by how you committed to us. Lord, we thank you that you loved us when we didn't deserve it. Lord, you looked at us with grace and mercy and you've given us an opportunity for new life, for salvation. You've given us an opportunity now as the church to be unified together, to love one another So God, we pray as we exit these doors, God, that we would, that we would love one another and that we would trust you with our lives. It's your heavenly name we pray. Amen.